Well, good morning. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. I had a great time last week with Carol and uh, went down and saw some friends in San Antonio. And uh, it was just a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Missed you. I understand the youth just did a great job. And, uh, and uh, isn't it great when the youth take over the service? It's the future of our church. I think it's a wonderful thing that they did that last week, and I'm so glad that they had such a great time doing it, too. Some of the teenagers uh, asked Tom, when can we do that again? Uh, that's the kind of thing you like to hear, isn't it? Well, let's turn our attention this morning to our, our sign up here, Onward. We've been talking about that for the last few weeks. Sometimes we get a little stuck in our Christian life. How do we move it forward? Sometimes we uh, get a little uh, stuck in relationships. Marriages, our job, and we wonder what are the things that get us unstuck. What we've been talking about the last few weeks are these items. We've talked about faith, purpose, preparation. Uh, Bill Spear took you through appropriation, identification, and then Tom spoke a little bit on rest last week. These are the kinds of things theologically that we need to know that move us. And today we're going to deal with the last of them. And that's the whole idea of continuance. The striving to hit the balance in our walk with God. I want you to take your Bibles, or if you've got a smartphone, or iPhone, or iPad, or however you're electronically connected to this universe, uh, turn with me to Luke 18, verses 1 through 5. It'll appear on the screen in case you didn't bring your Bible this morning or whatever, but this is what it says. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. <laughs> There's continuance. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. Wow. That'd be some if they put that on your tombstone, wouldn't it? Didn't fear God, respect God, and care about people. But a widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a good while. Finally he said to himself, I don't fear God and I don't care about people. But this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice. Because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Max Lucado, the gifted speaker and writer describes the judge this way. says he was a complete scoundrel. Didn't respect God, didn't like anybody. Kind of a guy who lived up in the Hamptons. Had a swimming pool in the shape of a dollar sign. Smoked Cubans. Wore the best clothes. Had the bronzini ties, the gold cup socks. No Silverthorne outlet speaking or shopping for him. His was down in Cherry Creek all the way. Best of the best. Drove a Porsche, probably a Carrera, with a license plate that said, My Way. He was on the payroll of the mafia. They kept him in dollars. He kept them out of jail. They gave him votes. He made sure they got all the contracts was a sweet deal. But the guy was a crook. Everybody knew it. His wife, his friends, even God. He didn't care. And he was certainly not a judge who gave second chances. 
The widow, Lucado says, I named her Ethel. She was acquainted with grief. She had stood over a grave site not too long ago and buried her husband. She was familiar with loss. She was alone. Evidently, she had an enemy, according to this parable. I don't know who it is. Maybe a bill collector. Maybe an angry landlord. But she's in need. She's hurting. And so she tries to seek out some kind of restitution. And so she takes her case to the local authority. To the judge. This judge. Lucado describes her as somewhat of a homely woman. Probably had her hair in a bun, wore old jogging shoes that she probably got out of a dumpster. Plaited dress, but a lot of true grit. And she would pester him everywhere. She'd see him coming down a hallway in the courtroom and she'd say, Judge, have you got a minute? See him in his office, somehow got by the secretary. Have you got a minute? Just, just a second. Even during one of his golf games, she jumped out from the bushes behind the fourth hole. Judge, have you got a minute? Just a minute. She was amazing. And everybody, bodyguards, secretaries, all yelling, please, do something about this woman. One day, the judge was leaving the courtroom. His bodyguards knocked on the door said, it's all clear. Can't see her. They ran from the building to the limo. He jumps in the limo, and guess who's in the limo? <laughs> Ethel. Yeah. Judge, have you got a minute? What is it that you want? He gives her the chance to speak. And she starts in, and she doesn't take any breaths, and she's going on. And evidently, it's, there's words like eviction that are in there. Bankruptcy. Can't pay by bills. He's not even looking at her. He's looking out the window. Totally... Just get it over with. Finally, Ethel pauses, and he gives her the universal timeout sign and said, what is it you want? And so she tells him, there's some money that's involved. There's some people that need to be appeased. And he says, well, what do I get in return? She says, you'll never hear from me. Sold, American. <laughs> the deal is clenched. It doesn't take too long for you to see that this parable is not a parable of comparison to our Heavenly Father. It's a parable of contrast, isn't it? Our God is not up in heaven, bugged by the fact, oh, here comes that guy in prayer again. What does he want? No, it's a parable of contrast. And how easily the Heavenly Father wants to grant our requests and it wants to give us what we really need. Not necessarily what we want, but what we really need. And he wants to be quick about it as well. But the whole parable depends on one thing. And that's whether or not you see that God is good. And sometimes today it's very hard for us to see that God is good. Sometimes when the, when the coppers get a little low at the house, is God still good? When I go to the doctor's office and I get a bad medical report. Is God still good? What keeps me going on? What keeps me continuing in the faith? I propose this morning that you never really go onward 
let alone upward, unless you really come to the foundational belief in all of what we said through these last six weeks, until you're rest assured that God is good, even when the coppers get low, even maybe when a terminal disease comes into the family, even when some family member is unexpectedly taken, God is still a good God. Each of us must be, I think, to some degree, understanding in that, and in all that balance in all of our life. It's very interesting to me that in Isaiah chapter 58, verse 11, it says this, The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you're dry, and restoring your strength. Isn't that a great promise? You will be like well, a well-watered watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. That's good news. But before any of us can be cultivated, before any of us can be in a position so that our service really reflects a certain maturity in our life, God's got to do some work inside of us. He comes to realize, I think all of us realize that the Lord is not so much doing stuff through us as He's doing stuff to us. There was an anonymous saying that said this. We're not sure who quoted this, but it's a great quote. Since the work of God is essentially spiritual, it demands spiritual people for its doing. And the measure of their spirituality will determine the measure of their value to the Lord. Because this is so, in God's mind, the servant is more than the work. If we're going to come truly into the hands of God for His purpose, then we shall be dealt with Him in such a way as to continually increase our spiritual measure. Not our interest in Christian work, our energies, enthusiasm, ambitions, or abilities. Not our academic qualification or anything that we are in ourselves. But simply our spiritual life is the basis of the beginning and growth of our service to God. Even the work when we are in it is used by Him to increase our spiritual measure. But you can't do that unless you know that God is good. Nee, Watchman Nee said, It is a mistake to measure spiritual maturity merely by the presence of gifts. Some of you have great spiritual gifts. Sometimes, some of you have more than one gift. But by themselves, they are an inadequate basis for a person's or a man's lasting influence to God. They may be present and they may be valuable, but the Spirit's object is something far greater. To form Christ in us through the working of the cross. His goal is to see Christ inwrought in believers. So it is not merely that a man does certain things or speaks certain words, but that he is a certain kind of man. He himself is what he preaches. Too many want to preach without being the thing themselves. But in the long run, it is what we are, and not simply what we do or say, that matters with God, and the difference lies in the formation of Christ within. Folks, we're not, ser- we're not saved to serve. We're matured to serve. Only to the extent that cultivation reveals Self for what it is. Are we in the position to assist others in their cultivation? We find out everyone else by first finding out about ourselves. 
In Proverbs 27, 19, it says, As a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. And to counterbalance that, 2 Peter 3, 18 says, Our Father enables us, or rather, you must grow in the grace of the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is true not only concerning general service, but also in the matter of even when we have prayer life, which we call intercessory prayer. In fact, in fact, uh, J.B. Stoney says this. He says, Praying for others can only flow from a heart at rest about itself and knowing the true value of the desires which it expresses for another. I could not be true or happy in praying otherwise. You only do that when you know God is good. In Job, it says that Job prayed for his friends. In Job 42.10. And then it says that God doubled the portion that he actually prayed for for his friends. If Job prayed for 20 bucks, God gave him 40. There's a formula to try, huh? That's what we should all turn to each other in church. I'm going to pray the very best for you. (laughs) I like people and I respect God. In Second or First Corinthians fourteen fifteen, it says, "What then shall will, will what shall I do? I will pray in the spirit, and I will also pray in words I understand. I will sing in the spirit, and I will also sing in words I understand." I think so many of us, having entered into some of the deeper realities of of the Lord and our growth, we seek to immediately pull or push others into that same truth. You know, it's so easy for you to pick up a passage of the Bible and say, oh, look what I found. You've got to experience this true. But maybe people are not ready for that yet. Think how long it took you and your journey to get where you are to understand and even grasp that and willing to live within the reality of that. God is a patient and tender person. He's a good God. But He wants you to speak out of the truth that is not just words, but words that have changed your life. In the 40 years that I've been preaching, both with Campus Crusade and in the church, I've come to realize that if I, don't, if I preach on some, something Sunday that I haven't experienced, even though it may be true from the Bible, it isn't much later than Wednesday that I'm going through it. Moses had all the wisdom of the Egyptians and for the Egyptians, yet his idea of delivering Israel was to slay an Egyptian. Really? He had to be trained in God's ways. That's not the way God wanted it done. And God didn't train Israel. He trained the leaders. He trained Moses, who then would train the people. You're in the search for a new pastor. It's been my privilege to be here for some eight months or so now and to watch this transition taking place. And the leader that comes is a leader certainly that has had some past experience, has a few miles on the speedometer. But hopefully whatever he's learned in the past and even some of the failures that he may have had in the past have worked to his benefit because God is maturing that so that he has a bright future. I've noticed in my life, I'm sure you've probably noticed in yours, that every time God has me in a position and He breaks me in that position, it's always kind of preparing me for the next ministry. 
Why? Because God is like that. He's a good God. Now, to the extent that we learn how our Father has had to handle us through the years, we understand how we have to share it with others. J. Penn Lewis writes that in his, in his, in his, in his thinking. It is injurious for one believer to be forcing another believer into a blessing for which that soul is not ready for. That's not, for, that's not right. Forced advancement really gives the enemy his opportunity to mislead. For those who try to rush and push, uh, push others and who cannot stand alone nor bear the tests of their assumed positions, my goodness, why are we pushing people into things that maybe they're not ready for? Then, too, all our service, you know, there has to be a proper motive to be fully considered. Work should be regarded less with reference to its immediate results or how it may affect this person or that. The correct, the correct question is that when we minister to people, is God really happy with our service? That should be the reward that we did it in the power of the Spirit and we left the results to God. If we could go on an imaginary journey today, I'd take you to a vineyard so that you could play the part of the press and you could interview a few branches. And if the branches could speak, I think they would say this. If you asked them the question, what are you up to today? And their answer would be, well, we're just hanging out. Not to be too much of a pun. Well, uh, what about the fruit? Well, you know, it's really quite an easy job here being a branch. We just stay plugged into the vine, and the vine life comes through the branch, and it produces the fruit effortlessly. Really? You don't have to grunt and groan, strain? Well, there are a few branches down in the south end of the vineyard that don't get it. They're down there trying to squeeze out a few raisins, you know. I've got to get this fruit out. See, that's the way we sound during the day. Oh, Lord, I want to be loving today at work. Uh-oh, here comes that person that I don't like. Okay, I'm going to be loving. And we squeeze out a little raisin of love, you know. No, our job is just to stay plugged into the vine. And the fruit comes out effortlessly. But the point is, are you depending on the life in the vine? Or are you thinking it's still your effort to do it? And God has to take us through a number of things that will bring us to a point where Christ in you, the hope of glory, that Christ be formed in you, so that that can be the result. And if it isn't, we've got to go through the, the exam again in order to continue. And sometimes we just keep botching up that final exam and we get so tired and we say, it isn't worth it. And we get stuck in our Christian life and we don't continue and we keep grudges. My goodness, I can remember sometimes in the churches that I've pastored, I, I, people, I remember uh, two sisters who hadn't spoken to each other in, in the same church. They were in the same church that I pastored. They hadn't spoken to each other for, for 33 years. How long do you keep a grudge? These are sisters. She sat on one side, the other way, sat on the other side. Wouldn't talk to each other, wouldn't acknowledge each other. How can that be in the house of God? Now, I realize that people do dumb things and they make us mad and they sin against us. I understand all that. The Bible says, hey, before you go over there and take that speck out of that other guy's eye, check the plank in yours. 
why am I saying to this? Because I'm a good God. And I know you can't do that on your own power. It was never intended for you to do it on your own power. I want to form Christ in you, the hope of glory, who has the power to live the Christian life through you. Wow, that's an amazing, amazing task. And how he does that in our life. Then, too, in all of our service, there is the proper motive in which we do that. Well, it's very interesting to me that J.B. Stoney, just as you see there on your, on your slide there, it says, the quality of one's work depends on the nature of one's rest. My, that's wonderful. We have but small ideas of how our inward, our outward bears the color of our inward. And if our inward is not restful, there can be a rest imparting service. Or cannot be a rest imparting service, however it may be attempted. The greatest proof of our love for Christ is that we care for those who belong to Him. He said to Peter, You love me, Peter? Then feed my sheep. Notice that Jesus never asked Peter, Do you like sheep? Not really, Lord. <laughs> They're kind of messy. Well, then do you love me? Yeah. Well, then feed the sheep. Tend my lambs. When God called me into the pastor, he never said, Gene, do you like people? Sometimes. He said, Gene, do you love me? Yeah. Feed the sheep, Gene. That's your job, too. This This is not a spectator sport. I've told you that many times, haven't I? This is every believer participating game. My goodness. Many of these development areas are just plain desert to us at times. Sometimes there's no spiritual activity in our life, no service, little or no fellowship with Him or others. It gets a little dry. Sometimes our prayer life gets forced. Sometimes we drop it all together for months. Bible studies in our life fall to a grind. And we almost give up on God because we think that He's just watching us and we've got to make sure that we pass all the exams. He's keeping score and He's going to be pretty tough on us at the end. Do you remember that parable of where the guy had the talents, the five talents, the two talents, and the one talent? The five invested, the two invested, but the one guy who got the one talent put it in the ground. And when the Master came back, He said, well, you know, to the guy he gave five and two, he gave him some more. But to the one, he was upset. And he asked for an answer. And here's the answer. Listen to this. Here's what the guy said. He said, I knew you to be a hard man. Is that your view of God? The Pharisees thought he was. The Pharisees thought God was a hard man. But you and I don't. At least we're not supposed to. We, we believe that God is a good God. He's good all the time, 24-7. Doesn't sleep, doesn't slumber, watches over you, watches over me. It's a phenomenal thing. But in 2 Timothy 2.19, but God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are His, and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. Are we only to turn to Him when we feel He's blessing us? Wow. That sounds more like self-love than it does God-love. 
my goodness. T. Austin Sparks says this, Sonship is something more than being born again. It represents growth into fullness. It is quite a good thing to be a babe while babyhood lasts, but it's a bad thing to be a babe when that period is past. This is the condition of many Christians, he says. While sonship is inherent in birth, in the New Testament sense, sonship is the realization of the possibilities of birth. It is the growth to maturity. So the New Testament has a lot to say about growing up, leaving childhood, and attaining unto full stature. With this growth comes the greater fullness of Christ and the abundant wealth unto which we are saved. It is a matter not so much of that from which we are saved, are saved, as unto which we are saved. Oh, this is amazing. You know, I think in our, when we first start out in our Christian life, we're taken up in a pretty emotional kind of way, and we get all excited. And we want to do things for God. And I think that's normal, and I think that's wonderful. But as this kind of progress takes place, it becomes a little bit paradoxical because the way to grow up is actually going down. It's what we saw in Philippians chapter 2. That Jesus was humiliated before he was exalted. And yet he even volunteered that humiliation. He gave up the independent use of his and the independent use of his of his godly attributes, put them aside so he could be as a man. And then God humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a cross. And then at the due time, God exalted him. You know, oftentimes that's really true in our life, that exaltation always follows humiliation. When we've learned what we need to learn. I think that's so true in everything that I, I find. In fact, his relentless processing will discourage and baffle us if we simply want heaven when we die, if that's all we're looking for. But if we want what he wants, all that we are taken through, including the desert, will be a tremendous encouragement to us. C.A. Coates has this wonderful quote. He says, If our hearts are really true to Him, we may be assured He will lead us on in the knowledge of Himself just as fast as we are able to advance. He knows how much we can take in, and He does not fail to minister to us the very food that is suitable to our present need. We may sometimes feel inclined to be impatient with ourselves because we don't make the rapid progress. But... We have to learn to trust the Lord with our spiritual education. If our eyes are upon Him and we follow with simple hearts as He leads us, we shall find that He leads us by a right way and brings us through all the exercises we need in order to form our souls in the appreciation of Himself. And of all those blessed things which are brought to pass in Him, we have to trust His love all through. Trust His love, trust His goodness, and to learn increasingly to distrust ourselves. Well, that leads us to what Paul wrote to Timothy. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now go ahead and teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. My goodness. We rejoice with you as you continue in Him. But Second Thessalonians 3.3 says, But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. Continuing on. I played football in college, high school. I was privileged to have one of the greatest coaches 
in football. He was a tremendous coach. Most of us would, we gave our all. We never left anything on the field. We would continue through every game, all four quarters and overtime if necessary. Because we knew our coach was a good man. Some years ago, there was a little film clip that came out of a little movie that was made by a Christian organization called Facing the Giants. There's a particular clip I want you to see. Go ahead and roll that. So, Coach, how strong is Westview this year? A lot stronger than we are. You already written Friday night down as a loss, Brock? Well, not if I know we could beat them. Come here, Brock. You too, Jeremy. What, am I in trouble now? Not yet. I want to see you do the death crawl again, except I want to see your absolute best. (laughs) (laughs) What, you want me to go to the 30? I think you can go to the 50. (laughs) 50? I can go to the 50 if nobody's on my back. I think you can do it with Jeremy on your back. But even if you can, I want you to promise me you're going to do your best. All right. Your best. Okay. You going to give me your best? I'm going to give you my best. All right, one more thing. I want you to do it blindfolded. Why? Because I want you giving up at a certain point when you can go further. Get down. Jeremy, get on his back. Get a good tight hold, Jeremy. All right. Let's go, Brock. Keep your knees off the ground, just your hands and feet. There you go. A little bit left. A little bit left. There you go. Show me good effort. That way, Brock. Keep coming. Very best. Your very best. Your very best. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. Don't quit on me. Keep going. Keep driving. Keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. That's it. Your very best. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving. Don't quit till you got nothing left. Don't give up on me, Brock. You keep going. You hear me? You keep going. You're doing good. You keep going. Do not quit on me. You keep going. It hurts. I know it hurts. You keep going. You keep going. It's all hard from here. 30 more steps. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Keep going. 20 more steps. 20 more. Keep going, Brock. Give me your best. around defeated, so will they. Don't tell me you can't give me more than what I've been seeing. You just carried a 140-pound man across this whole field in your arms. Brock, I need you. God's gifted you with the ability of leadership. Don't waste it. Kurt, can I count on you? 
Yes. Coach? What is it, Jeremy? All I want to say is That clip is so filled with metaphors that it hurts. Maybe you're wondering who the Brock character was in that film. And maybe you're not wondering at all. God needs leaders in this church who can carry the burden and who need to finish well. They need to go the whole distance, the full 100 yards. And sometimes we hear God like we're... He's pounding on our... The ground right beside us, keep going, keep going. I'm right here, I'm a good God. Finish well. Finish strong. No, the Pharisee who hid his, who hid his talent in the ground thought God was a hard man. Thought the Master was a hard man. You and I believe that He's a good man. And so I ask you today, what's your view of God? Hard man or benevolent father? Because it makes the difference of whether you stay kind of like the hamster in a cage just spinning around the wheel in your Christian life or you move forward and you move onward and you move upward. The key to this in so many situations is God is good. God is good all the time. There was a little phrase that came out of that when I was preaching some years ago that said, God is good. And the congregation said, all the time. Then I went, all the time. And the congregation said, God is good. Let's just try that. God is good. All the time. All All right, let's pray. Lord, thanks this morning. You are a good coach. You are a kind, benevolent Father. The things you take us through are for our own wonderful process of becoming more like you. But we need to see the goodness before we're willing to carry others on our back. Before we're willing to go the distance. And so we commit our day to you now. May you be praised and may you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.